I'm James, and this is Producing Fun, a podcast about making games from a product perspective. Welcome to the latest episode of Producing Fun. My guest this week is Annie Norman, the founder and owner of Bad Squido Games, a miniatures company specialising in the creation of believable female miniatures. I wanted to talk to Annie because her story is two important things at once. First, it's an inspirational tale. How someone built a business in the hobby sector from absolutely nothing, in debt and unemployed, and turned it into a thriving business with an avid fan base doing something genuinely different. It's also about what that actually involved, which is not all luck, but the result of hard work, sound business decisions, and a commitment to making quality products, in addition to any kind of fortunate market timing. That's an important story for people to hear. Here in the UK, at least, the opposite narrative is normally dominant in the world of games. No one can make any money, and all success is a crapshoot. While that might be convenient for some people to believe, it obscures the very real differences between the decisions made in successful and unsuccessful ventures. I suspect the real truth is the bitterest pill of all. Life isn't fair. You might still fail even if you do everything right, but if you're smart and you work hard, your chances really do improve a great deal. I say the world of games, but as a producer of miniatures, her business exists in what I always find to be a curiously parallel universe. The world of war game miniatures, where the aesthetics of the sculpture, not the design of the game, is far more important, commercially and critically. Indeed, Annie doesn't make games or rules. Her products, realistic-looking female figures from history and fantasy, are used in other people's games and as painted showpieces in their own right. From how the selfie plays a critical part of the miniature design process, to avoiding the false economies of insourcing, this chat was a wonderful mixture of curios, fun and practical advice, applicable to almost any startup business. Annie is great fun in general, so I'm sure you'll find this as enjoyable as I did. We join as she describes what it's like to live and work in Nottingham, which is, as she puts it, the unlikely Hollywood of the miniatures world. So I chose to move here, of all places, um, because of the lead belt thing, a phenomenon. So mm. there's a lot of companies based in Nottingham from obviously the GW. And then over time, I think people, as people sort of left that company, they then formed their own sort of larger companies. And mm. it's just kind of splintered off and kind of made Nottingham this sort of miniatures hub of the UK. And I was, I was moving anyway. And so I thought, where shall I move to? Let's move to Nottingham, give it a go. No plenty of people around there. And I'm really, really glad I did move here. It's got, got a bit of an unfair reputation, I think. That's interesting. What, what, what is its reputation, do you think, as a place? Well, it did used to have quite a lot of gun crime. So it's ah, got this sort of... okay. Yeah, this sort of bit of a, a grotty, <laughs> grotty mm. visage. But no, it's lovely. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I moved here for, for Bad Squiddo and then ended up really, really liking it for Annie as well. Yeah. Oh, great. That's really fantastic. I mean, certainly when I, you know, the, well, the one trip I, I came to the networking thing with the tabletop thing run by Needy Cat Games. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, this is actually rather nicer than I expected. Again, similarly <laughs> sold uh, perhaps a, a rather faulty idea of what Nottingham was like. And actually, yeah, it seemed quite nice, actually. And I was amazed at how reasonable it was, at least coming from London anyway. Yes. And, and I think, um, you know, I was told that like even the office space, for example, is very cheap. And I just think even just getting a desk in London is like insanely yeah. expensive. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
and you have a, a your own workshop right that you, you yes. kind of do things in right so i'm in the same building as needy cat games which is super ah, fun okay yeah and that's another reason the why uh, nottingham is ace because there are just you pretty much can't go anywhere without bumping into other war games companies uh, or someone mm. from a war games company they are everywhere like, not even sort of tesco shopping is safe <laughs> walking yeah, down wow. the aisle I'm like oh yep yep oh. i do i do keep calling it the hollywood of war games but <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> but hollywood of war hollywood games, of war games. oh that's everywhere. so great that's so great but the, the amount of people i've met since i've been up here it's just it's, it has sort of coincided with bad squid getting big sort of thing as well um, but yeah, the amount of people I've met in that sort of either business connection or friends or both sort of manner since I've been here is just sort of skyrocketed. And it's good to be able to, I'm still, I've, I've been realising a lot lately that, that Bad Squiddo is both smaller than people realise and larger than people realise at the same <laughs> time. Interesting. <laughs> it's a sort of um, TARDIS-like company. Yeah, and so it's still day to day in the office most of the time, especially with COVID as well. It's been just been me, and so that's where it's that's where the business is smaller than you think because mm. if you see the office, it's not enormous. I'm still very much doing everything as sort of tightly as possible, which is something I like to talk about in a bit as well. So that scale of it is small, but then the business is big, bigger than people realise. Yeah. So it's this sort of cross <laughs> crossovery type thing why do you think that that is is it because there's like a misunderstanding of what it takes to run a business like that and but somehow at the same time being surprised by not having by not being absolutely massive i'd, I'd really like to know what you what your thoughts are on that so before i set up the bad squid i found that i was I thought a lot of companies were bigger than they are. Uh, so a lot of the smaller miniatures manufacturers in my head were making loads more money <laughs> and uh, consisting of way more people than, than they actually are. So I've kind of just realized that that's, you know, it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to think that's how a lot of people see my business because you don't realize till it's the sort of thing you just don't really think about, you know, it's not until you're sort of in that land where you know all it like the process and the manufacturing and how things work. So I've always been really open about it being a, a one a one annie business. Though mm. we do employ a lot of people, it's all contract sort of work or you know freelancers and things like that. There's no day to day sort of you know payroll person. Uh, so that makes it really small in that sort of sense. But then just as the size of the business is in you know the amount that we sell or just the range that we've got all of that I think is a lot bigger than a lot of people realize because they just see the Annie so yeah <laughs> that sort of it creates that you know sort of wraparound so yeah you kind of just see me bimbling along going ah <laughs> you think <laughs> well what a tiny company it's just sort of, you know just Annie going ah but um Annie is working on way too many things at once so it's also that part of growth of the company as well where I'm in that typical part where you start needing you know needing to get delegate more needing more people in but not having that spare funds yet so it's makes sense so so it's that uh, that classic issue where as you said because just as you'd done from the outside it looked like oh there must be loads of people involved in making these miniatures yeah. and actually it turns out no actually there can just be one person who is subcontracting out loads of different kind of kind of work yeah. 
um, that's what would make people think that a be somewhat surprised that it's actually it is only you actually as d- driving everything forward. But also at the same time, I guess the thing about the being larger is because I guess even as one person today, it's possible, isn't it, in a way that might have maybe not previously, perhaps even thirty or forty years ago, be the case that you can project an image of being much bigger because actually you can be through subcontracting out and buying different services in you can be creating this actually pretty big footprint right yeah yeah definitely on that note how many miniatures are there in your range then (laughs) i should know this i looked it up a while ago it's a lot it is a lot i'll have to i'll have to get back to you on it but yeah have you got like a ballpark number like just approximately just to kind of help the listeners work um, out like roughly how many miniatures they can start getting a sense of how how overworked you are in terms of the the female minis that you know not the scenics range that we've got um oh so there's, there's the okay so you've got a scenic yeah, we range have two, as well yeah we have like it's almost two businesses in one really right. at this point as well so it's gone it's gone pretty huge so yeah we have this huge range of resin scenics and then we have the believable female miniatures project as well so between them they're just growing all the time mm. but yeah in terms of the female minis i don't know it's it's got to be got to be at least 500 if not more and that would be <laughs> kind of a set of like there'd be like sets would that include yeah, in terms in terms of minis so yeah some of them are on their own some are in sets of four stuff like right. that but there's a lot there's a lot of miniatures so actually that means the individual sculpts so this would be like an individual yeah. design effectively so if i understand yeah. what a sculpt is in this context correctly could be more than 500 Oh no, that was I was I was saying that was oh, about, right. that, about in- that many minis. I'm probably way off as well. So <laughs> right, okay, but so, we- so off the top of my head, I should totally know these uh, these uh, to, numbers. To uh, uh, to anyway, well, I mean, regardless, even if it's even if you're a hundred out, that yes. would still be an absolutely yeah. enormous number. Because people, I think, a bit of a scale of kind of kind of what you do. I yeah. find this question of being able to do so many things on your own really really interesting. Because another person who does that is Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games. Yeah, and his annual revenue is about. 18 million dollars last year so i think that's really interesting is that you could have a business of that scale as as a as a one person run business that doesn't actually have any other employees yeah yeah that seems kind of amazing that that it could scale to that point what what's required i guess to do that what do you think what what's needed to kind of to do that with only one person or is that is that even possible can do you think i'd like to say for your company having tremendous organization (laughs) (laughs) i I, it's um it's obviously a point in the business where you can kind of go one way or the other and i feel like i've very strongly gone towards this particular way i'm sure we will end up with you know more than just me at some point and that would be Mm. lovely but i can't see us necessarily becoming that sort of you know huge warehouse style company because i'm very much a fan of outsourcing and not doing everything in-house and with miniatures manufacturing, I think maybe sometimes the older way is the very much all in-house, you know, having everything done in your one place. I think that's when costs can just bubble a lot as well, very suddenly. So, you know, people start growing again with any business. It's the same sort of thing. You start growing and then you go right now. I need more infrastructure. You know, I need to move to a bigger place, get yeah. more staff. But you're not growing at the same amount as those expenditures are going up sort of thing and that's when they can just sort of cave back in on themselves which has been something i've been really really conscious about so so for now then your your plan is very much to 
keep it as probably just you for now, unless there was some exceptional reason that something came along that seemed like an employee would be the right. Yeah, I I would love, this is where I end up getting loads of job applications. Not yet, (laughs) not yet. What I would love (laughs) is almost like a shop manager type person that can can just do a lot of that, thus freeing me up to do more of the bits that I'm more interested in, I guess Mm. is the word, or, uh, you know, where my skills are better suited because the amount of things I have to do, occasionally that's a really good point of confidence for me where I think damn I can do a lot of things not necessarily you know all of them are amazing but they're all very much you know passable (laughs) you know no one would notice I've not got you know I've not got a company all sort of you know taped together with bits of cardboard and sellotape and whatever you know going it's all handmade (laughs) you know (laughs) I can wing it pretty well it's the basic yeah but having to have like not again not a, an expert but a, a solid knowledge of so many different mm. aspects so obviously like the with the miniature design so largely focus on historical figures there's so much research that has to be done to get all of the mm. the details correct and that's the bit that I would like to have more Annie freed up to do I don't know when I started talking about myself in third person either but at some point <laughs> this, is, this has happened in, like, yeah in the last few years <laughs> um, yeah, what, what I was saying before about how you could have everything in-house. And people do that. And it does tend to be those sort of larger companies now, like when they get to that size, you, mm. you know, then that's that's a different sort of well, fish. What's this? Yeah. But that, that larger scale, yeah, that, that makes sense for all sorts of different reasons to have things in-house. But my sort of size of business, I'm very much a fan of that. Yeah. Just get professionals to do things. and then everything is great so yeah (laughs) there's the things that I can do and like I said I have to wing a lot of stuff um, and that sort of go right we need to do this now I've never done this before in my life ever now I need to read up and figure out how the hell I do this Mm. you know whether it's things like different softwares or different ways of accounting and stuff like that it's that's that's okay but there's things that I should never ever do so (laughs) and I see I see it happen with a lot of a lot of companies where they do that and they kind of get like you know, well, we could save some money by doing these things ourselves. I'm like, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Like I, oh, I'm, you know, yes, that's a real trap, like, isn't it? Extremely overworked people. But then I think I'm extremely overworked, but wow. If I did some of these things that other people do on top of that, it just, it would be impossible. So one of them that I see a lot, uh, a lot of companies start doing is go, we spend a lot of money on casting. We could get our own caster. And then we could just pay mm. them money and and then we wouldn't have to pay, you know, the, the profit to the casting company. When you company say casting here, just for the benefit of the listener, so yeah. I can understand what part of the process is, it'd be good if you explain that. I think after that, what we'll do is we'll go right to the top in terms of maybe what, what kind of typical day looks like, just so I can understand yeah. a little bit more about how the business works. But yeah, um, yeah. What, what do you mean by casting in this context? So uh, the miniatures we have are made in metal and resin. Right. Um, and yeah, that's basically once you've got your original, you sculpt, that's then made a mold of, and then the casting is the main manufacturing process. It's so quite casting the, the actual final the figures, output yeah. f- figures from a mold that's being previously made by a mold maker. Yes. So those, those figures that will then go into the packets and be sold. So those sort of final pieces that, you know, yes, people can learn to do it themselves and you can get your own, you know, buy the machines, do it in house. 
but you're always going to be at that sort of mercy of having a caster and then if something happens to that not that they die you know yeah, <laughs> like, yeah well they leave they get yeah, another yeah, job yeah. oh yeah maybe yeah. They, they die I've made it dark um uh, but yeah you're <laughs> then reliant on them and yeah. then if yeah so if there's a problem with that one person or maybe you're wild and you've got two of them but it's still still a bit shaky that's what I was talking about of scale because at that point it is one or two if you're a much larger company you've got a whole team and it's different you know different matter but I think other than doing that, then why wouldn't I use a company that's got professionals that have done this for a mm. very long time? They've developed the skills to just, you know, mm. obscenely good levels and have everything in place to make the best miniatures possible. It's just for me, I, a lot of people go, oh, it's about time you start doing in-house casting. I'm like, no way. Why would I do that? <laughs> so do that? it's really interesting. So when I spoke to a manufacturer who I believe you work with, Louis yes. Downs, in a previous yes. episode, as he spoke more and more about the process and what was involved, it was very clear to me that this is, this is a hugely, highly skilled specialist area. Yes. And certainly if I, I, the, the thought of, oh, I'm going to have to cast some models now or get someone in who just does casting yeah. without any of the ability to, for example, the resilience, because obviously Louis employs multiple people who can do yeah. that kind of work. Um, so that if someone is sick or unavailable, there's always ability to continue producing product. That sounds like a nightmare. It sounds like it's just <laughs> taking on a lot of risk or like not really a, a lot of cost saving, really. Exactly. And even through, you know, the last year and the pandemic, I've not, I've had barely any sort of interruption or anything to the, mm. the manufacturing because they've got all those systems in place. So that's actually more stable than having that, that sort of system in house. And it's yeah. something that people, it's not, it's not too hard. This is where yeah, Louis tells me off afterwards. It's not mm. too hard to cast, <laughs> right. to cast a miniature. You can pick it up you know you can do a day of you know someone showing you and you can cast a miniature but there's a very big difference between casting a miniature and casting a very good miniature yeah that makes <laughs> total that, sense that difference yeah. of quality a lot of people will just go i've made a miniature it's worked yes why would i pay someone like like louis company um to, to do this when i can just do it like yeah it's the same as with anything like yes you have made a miniature but it's not very good, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's that seems critical, doesn't it? And, and particularly because I mean, this this comes to me something to talk about immediately about the the whole attraction of miniatures is an interesting question because for me, I would have assumed that production quality is really important because they yes. are aesthetic objects first and foremost in a way that board games uh, can be enjoyed. They they can look terrible sometimes. <laughs> people can still have an amazing time with them if they're very well designed from a gameplay perspective. That isn't really true of miniatures, is it? Is it because yeah. they're aesthetic objects? Especially if, like myself, I only produce miniatures. So that's it. Mm. It's not like I've got a game system that can kind of go, you know, well, <laughs> that I can say the minis suck, but the game's really good. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. I've just got miniatures, yeah. and and yeah, that's another thing that I see people sort of doing where they'll they'll try and save costs on something like the miniature say by you know you using a less uh, a less good <laughs> less good caster mm. and go oh but we can get these for much cheaper like but that's mm. your product that's the whole thing everything is about the figure yeah so why well, would you not have the figure as good as it can possibly be uh, yeah. so that's something i'm yeah. absolutely happy to you know because um when you know sort of people get together and chat about all different costs and stuff I'm, I'm aware that the costs of mine are a lot but it's just mm. like 
why wouldn't you do that? There are other ways you can sort of skimp and save, like, well, so like me having a way smaller office than I should have by this point. Mm. But the important thing is that products. And uh, I think, yeah, people sort of setting up um, can easily be lured into that whole, like, oh, but I can save money by, you know, mm. not using, you know, super good casters, perhaps. Or, or, yeah, just like I can pick it up and do it in my shed. And, and there's plenty of people that do that. And I didn't want to look, look like I was being super critical but it's it's very easy to to do it wrong basically and yeah there's plenty of lovely people that do that do love very lovely castings in in their shed or their spare room and that sort of thing it depends what you want out of the business though you know whether you want to stay as that sort of size and it's a bit of a a hobby project you know uh, a bit of a side thing to your day job or whether you want it to be that sort of larger company so there's all that sort of um tied up in it as well i would have thought that there would be a problem but your scale, right, in terms of people who would have the adequate capacity to make the miniatures. So yes. you produce them in such a volume that someone who's doing it in their shed, even if they've spent a lot of time getting really good at it, is going to struggle from a volume perspective, right? Yeah, exactly. I have I have had in the ca- in the past, I've had the sort of shed casters. So I've been absolutely mm. lovely. And now at this point, when I switched over to, to using CMA, Louis, that was the point that was really starting to take off Mm. i was really pleased that i noticed that beforehand i didn't wait till it got out of control yeah yeah. you know i thought you know okay right now our output is you know it's not scary but the way it's growing it's gonna get scary fairly soon and again if i'm using it even if it's a casting company where it's one or two people that can disrupt as well because you know they're ill Mm. or they go on holiday and that can sort of spanner everything this is interesting, though, that there's quite a lot, as I understand it, in this industry within the sort of casting side of things, where there are a lot of um, businesses that are similarly micro businesses of people producing yeah. small quantities, right? Yeah. Yeah, most most of the, the War Games minis companies are are a lot smaller in terms of people than, than a lot of people realise, because there's even ones larger than me that seem somehow even smaller, if that makes sense as right. well. In that terms of like, yeah, their output's larger. But they're still just, yeah, mostly like one guy that organizes But specifically, even for something which I think is probably a bit of a surprise for me when I learned this, manufacturing, right? Not just, because I think we're used to thinking about manufacturing as being quite a big scale process. If you look at what the factories in China do in terms of manufacturing games and the quantities, that is a big operation with so many people involved. Yeah. But actually, there are lots of these sort of micro manufacturing companies in in the war game space in and around Nottingham. And I guess some of those are the people that you're, you're bumping into at the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> but so the size that we're at now and the amount that we order, I can only think of, apart from obviously the casters we use, it's probably one of a company out there in the UK that would be able to handle that amount, which is something that I find really interesting. Oh, that interesting. More and more companies are, are popping up because it's it, the, you know, the barrier to entry is always a lot smaller, probably even more so. so that'd be a whole other episode talking about digital sculpting and that sort of yeah it's just it's a lot easier to be able to set up a company which is great and I'm one of them so I can't go there's all these companies starting yeah, I'm yeah, one of yeah. them but the infrastructure's not there even the um the shed the shed people there's there's the, just the not shed many, the shed, the like shed folk they're all gonna the email me after folk. this going, How dare you? <laughs> the lovely shed dwellers um exactly there's, there's just not but even with all those people because there's a lot there's a whole load of those sort of micro casters out there as well so between like everything that there is that side's not really growing as much so it gets harder and harder to sort of find that good reliable caster as well so that's that's been a whole adventure in our growth and just sort of learning things along the way 
but we've been with uh, CMA for the longest now and hopefully forever because yeah. <laughs> they're awesome but yeah there's just there's not that much in that sort of yeah that the core of it actually making the minis and then I get a bit concerned that it's a bit of a dying art sometimes that oh, you know interesting. like a lot a lot of the people I know that cast are fairly old as well and it's not because it's not something you just kind of pick up at any point is it like you know any other sort of hobby or something the, the machines generally are quite old and that's why it gives me some hope say companies like cma that mm. are constantly employing and training new people because that, that's a lot where it hasn't been sort of passed down because it will be somebody cast they're casting in their in their garage till they kind of retire and that's it well that's interesting but, isn't it so it's almost like you can see the kind of hobby origins of it yeah something where people it's, it's being done on this kind of hobby scale but as probably those kind of hobbies in general like it feels like craft hobbies and particularly maybe this is something that's maybe this is just purely supposition from my head with no evidence but the, the kind of craft hobbies amongst men seem like they're becoming less popular so i think about things like in, in the 60s there was like a huge boom in hobbies around things like making model airplanes and yeah. it kind of reached a real peak at that point and then since then this is funny thing that fewer and fewer men have been interested in crafting things. Yeah. And I guess if that's the result, then potentially you're losing out on that talent pool that was once there for casting. As, as it, it, it feels like it's in a similar ballpark to me. Yeah. You could say that was part of, in general, that maybe, you know, things, a lot of hobbies sort of dying out or yeah, yeah. due to, again, it's it's a whole thing for them. <laughs> but that's, again, being totally speculative, something like, you know, like video games, you know, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of things are a lot more digital than they used to be, you know, so. So yeah, I'm not sure. That's an interesting one though, for sure. Yeah, I find that, I find that interesting. Okay, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what a day in your life looks like, because I think that would help make the company a little bit clearer as well. In fact, actually, before we do that, let's first, Introduce if you could introduce a little bit more about what Bad Squid Air Games is and why you set it up. So Bad Squid Air Games, we manufacture 28 millimeter scale female miniatures. And sorry, just to stop you there immediately, just to make sure that I'm I'm clear on this. 28 millimeter scale. This is a person is approximately 28 millimeters in height. Just so I get this. Point. So a lot. Of, it's an ongoing. It will be debated until the end of time. People ah, okay. arguing over what it means. But what we do, which is clearly the best, because you know, <laughs> we do um from from foot to eye. Because some people do the top of head. And I'm like, but. What? You can get crazy hairstyles and stuff. That would mess up. Right, so we do it okay. to the eye uh, as if they were standing anyway. Obviously, right. if they're different poses, they won't be 28 mil at all. But yeah, this, when I'm describing to people outside of the sort of hobby, I just say, yeah, they're about three centimetres. <laughs> right, okay, That's an easy way to, you know... Miniatures that are about three centimetres. Yeah, they're about three centimetres. Apologies, I wanted to ask that question because it's something that I yeah. found a lot when I sort of... It's one of these kind of pieces of terminology from, from the scale miniature world that when I first heard it, I was like, I'm not quite sure I understand this. It's, it's <laughs> 28 millimetres of what? You know, like a map scale <laughs> is like one to yeah. something. So I was I always been a bit mystified. Understanding it's it's from approximately the foot to the to the eye line yeah. of a person, it makes sense. And as you said, yeah. it even makes even more sense if you just say the models are about three centimeters yeah. tall, <laughs> which is even easier. Anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Please, That's please okay. go on. Like mind blown. So yeah, we we manufacture figures at about three centimeters tall. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they're used for wargaming. Some people just use them for. But not just some people also use them for painting dioramas and things like that and we don't produce any rules but what we specialize in is female miniatures 
because at the time when I, I set it up, I noticed that that was what was really lacking in that sort of diversity mm. in the hobby. So that's what we focus on, but we've kind of been branching out quite a bit as well. So what they tend to be, because people will go, but you don't do rules. What do we use your miniatures for? Like, well, mm. a lot of people swap them out because so many companies don't do female models. And they want to play a game. There isn't what they would like to use in it. So they, they tend to be used for all sorts of different games, mm. which in historical worlds is a lot cooler than the fantasy worlds, you know, so it's not me yeah. sort of, you know, bumming off someone's IP or anything like that. You know, it's not like I make models that people play Warhammer with. It's not that sort right, of thing. Okay. Say in the historical world, it's quite, you know, someone will make a rule set and then it tends to be, you know, use whatever figures you like. And there's a whole load of that out there as well. Would you say the, the majority of what you produce is historical miniatures? I'd like to think so, but then <laughs> they'll go, whoa, we really, you know, <laughs> we really went all out on the guinea pig warriors or something. Ah, right, okay, <laughs> yeah, because there, no, is, no, yeah. there is such a range, because you've got yeah. the guinea pig warriors, these are sort of <laughs> armed guinea pigs that have armour and swords and things like this. No, that, that was me giving away one of my plans, but yeah, that will be. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, inadvertently no, trailed the, the next good. big range that's coming yeah, up. Yeah, heard it here first. But uh, yeah, we, it probably is. I'd like it to be. And I get, I do get distracted. Sometimes the sculptors mm. get distracted as well. And uh, depending on who it is, I sometimes just let them let them go off on <laughs> on whatever little adventure, sculpting adventure. And that's how some of the other ranges have sort of come about where I didn't have plans to do something. But the sculptor made me, you know, one and went, oh, I, just, I was just having fun and, you know, you like this and i've gone oh, now let's make loads of them yeah <laughs> but as well as ladies so it's again mostly lady figures we also bought most of Ristol's extraordinary market again about three years ago which does feel longer that one does so ooh, what, what's that he was a scenic company in poland ah. but he was fed this is that ties in quite nicely actually because he's he was a sculptor he still is a sculptor but he also was casting and running the business Right. And one of the reasons he decided to stop that was because he was getting frustrated that he wasn't sculpting as much as he wanted to be sculpting because he was doing the day-to-day -day business running instead. So he sort of switched up what he was doing, sold off the range, and then he just became a full-time sculptor. So he can just sculpt and hone that craft, which is... I was really proud when he like, did it because yeah. I see so again so many people sort of just work themselves into the ground trying to mm. when I think of everything that I do and if I sculpted and cast on top of that it just it blows my mind that you know that people do that but yeah so I bought that range but then we've expanded it we've probably tripled it or something since then uh, so Ristol's now uh, one of our sculptors I'm really pleased with how that's all turned out because mm. it was a range that we used to stock and now it's well that's ours and it's just the combo of me and Ristol are both our weird brains have just been creating like the best stuff ever. <laughs> so, like, right, fantastic. We do a lot of chatting about, you know, what we're going to make there. Like we like, this is a deadly duo. Sort so of. the creative processes is that generally speaking, you will be coming up with a kind of concept, right? For some miniatures. Yes. Then the sculptor might also have some ideas. And I guess this partnership with, with Ristol is one where he obviously, because um, he was previously running yeah. his own, uh, company publishing as well yeah he's got lots of great ideas that he keeps yeah. inputting into the process oh yeah he has he has some amazing ideas <laughs> um yeah it totally depends on the sculptor and i like sort of learning what what sculptors enjoy and what mm. they want to make as well because it's obviously it's like like anything that if they're doing something they're not that into it's not going to be as good if it's something they're really passionate about 
then it's going to be a lot better. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So it's almost like as a treat occasionally, <laughs> just be like, what do you want to make? So some some are very strict. We have very tight briefs. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Where, um, yeah, that'll be, you know, this is exactly what the figure's going to look like, to, you know, right down. So she's going to have this expression, this hairdo, every sort of micro detail. Interesting. And then other times, depending on what it is, again, it's usually away from the, the historical, but it might be something a bit more bit more loose so it could be something like right i need another shield maiden i want to dress the same as that one there mm. but can you have her in like a raw pose or something? <laughs> there's mm-hmm. usually there's a lot of photos of me out there of posing as for the pose example of what i want and oh then, wow yeah, a, so that's how you a, brief poses in sometimes is you just get a photograph of yourself making a kind of expression yeah because then you can figure out like it's even oh. stuff like figuring out if the body goes that way you know like <laughs> oh that's fascinating because like you're your own armature so yeah it's like is that a natural pose right because yeah because there are certain things you could do with them well, loads of things you could do with a model that would be impossible yeah uh in, in terms of hu- human physiology yeah you see a lot of that out as well <laughs> oh that's fascinating yeah i love doing that when, I, when i'm being a bit mean and see something like that, i think what have they done there not not on a bad squid of course of course but, not you know, of course I'll not but this is part of your quality like, control and design yeah, process yeah, right is that actually you're doing that part of it yeah. to make the brief tight so that you don't have that that problem. That's it. Yeah, I'll sort of see something occasionally. I'll be scrolling and see see a figure and go, what? And then yeah, I I find myself and yeah. pulling all sorts of weird poses, trying to be. Is that even possible? Can, is that, can, like, can someone even do that? Yeah. So yeah, I like that. That's one of my <laughs> one of my testing processes. Can my body go like that? So uh, where do you get your ideas from? How how do you start with? Because this, I mean, you could make a miniature of anything. <laughs> I mean, if if you're in the category of women. Well, that's 50% (laughs) of all the possible biological forms that have gender. So uh, that's obviously pretty broad. That's pretty broad brush. So how do you narrow that down and work out what miniatures you're going to make rather than others? It tends to be what what excites me the most, really. Mm. And there's always the sort of the business aspect as well, because it's a lot of money to make even just one miniature, Mm. the whole process. So it's got to sell. <laughs> you can't just, you know, just go, well, that'd be cool. It's got, it's got to sell. So then you've got to look at ways, you know, what games might be out there that it could fit into, all those sort of parts. And oh yeah, largely though, it's what I'm particularly interested in. If I see something and think, yeah, that's cool. That's like, what was it? I, I like to, the, the sort of basis of the company is making minis. One of my cheesy taglines is minis that younger Annie would have really enjoyed painting and playing with. Right. Like the okay. figures that my little yeah. self would, would sort of appreciated so yeah it'll be just just things that i think are, are really cool sometimes so especially with the historicals i have i'm looking at it now <laughs> I have an enormous specialist bookshelf that's all women in history books right i'm, I'm trying to like get them all at some point but i, I have this yeah <laughs> massive library yeah, yeah. anything that's been written yeah. about women in military history or to standard history i've got all of that and then i'll just sort of be flicking through various ones and maybe it'll be an old photograph or a bit mm. of information that'll be the thing that makes me go oh and then suddenly it's escalated and there's like a whole range so the the soviet's range for example is i think our largest one especially with the latest stuff and this is women of the soviet union yeah yeah it's World sort of War II. Well, around World War Two, right? Yeah. Yeah, like that range came about because we've just we've just released well on Kickstarter. We've just had a whole like massive bunch of it, but that very start the start of it was me looking through one of those because I've got in the books I've got there are 
sort of specialist books where they really delve deep into one particular topic. Mm. And then the broader ones, which are the sort of like, you know, coffee table books, the 50 women that you should learn about before you die and those sort of books. Right. And it was one of those that I was just sort of flicking through, saw the Night Witches. So the Night Witches that were um, bombers, Soviet bombers in World War II. Okay. And they were called that because they were they're just sort of silent and gliding. <laughs> they were like low-flying gliding right. bombers. Right, okay. And yeah, I just read about them. I went, oh, Night Witches are cool. And then before I knew it, <laughs> I was on this like humongous World War II binge of just sort of learning everything about women in World War II in the Soviet Union. Right, it yeah. Is escalate, yeah me, the classic kind the of down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yeah, kind of and then yeah, way that that one ended up yeah in me on various translated Russian language websites, books, and stuff oh, like wow. that. Just I go read yeah that so that was just the, the first sort of bit of interest. Well, I, I guess that makes sense to go quite deep, right? Because the historical research is is such a big part of what you're making. Oh yeah, right. it's like it's got to be more than you know the BuzzFeed article or whatever. You know? Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. was funny because somebody basically said that to me at one point. I think it was on Twitter or something. They said to me like, "Don't believe everything you read on all these clickbait articles." Like, no, I don't. I don't see a BuzzFeed yeah. article and go, "Wow, that's fact." Let's make a model of that. I don't need to look any further into this at all. Uh. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, the research does go does go deep, especially with the World War Two, because it's also I find it really fascinating. And there's so many yeah. photos, which also helps. So you can get really down to the your precise detail with that. Whereas some of you know things like Dark Ages, you, you've got a bit more room for speculation makes, or makes a little sense. bit of rule of cool you know things like that right yeah um, as in you can you can have something like it would be wicked if it was like this even if yeah. i don't have any historical evidence that someone like this would have done this like yeah. i'll just use it anyway because things like we don't really know and it's cool yeah there's always a bit of rule of cool in there <laughs> right yeah, yeah. so yeah it's, it's it's not anything that's too crazy because then i just put them into my fantasy figures but yeah, it should be something like this particular, maybe this sleeve design might look a bit cooler than the other sleeve design. We have no idea if right. they used either yeah. sleeve design, so I'm going to go for the cool one. So there's Makes more sense. sort of artisticness in those. But yeah, when it comes to World War II, you can get everything precise. And I really enjoy the challenge of that. And mm. um, I'm much more a fan of books than the internet for just the obvious reason that they tend to be a bit more. Um, not filtered um they have to go through processes to get published yes whereas online sense. especially with things like cool women from history mm. a lot of websites just nick off other websites and before yeah, you know yeah. one article it is everywhere and, and it might not be that well sourced yeah if there's an yeah. inaccuracies now it almost becomes a new internet truth so that's part of the the research oh, fun as well because there's there's one that drives me wild every time i see it and it's it's one of those like, yeah like this woman is really cool and they use a photo of an entirely different woman and every time i see her like someone in the comments <laughs> but it's the sort of thing you wouldn't know it's just because right of, yeah because like, it, um, it's been endlessly repeated and copied yeah. because it's like okay there's an inspirational woman here's a great story that gets copied without really checking the facts to make sure that in fact is, is this that person even that photograph of them yeah yeah but that just shows how stuff gets picked up and yeah, yeah just sort of yeah. thrown around which, you know, what that Twitter guy said was absolutely correct. But it, it, I thought it was funny that he had just assumed that that was what I did. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there is this whole, yeah, I've read like a bit of an article. And think when they do make cooler headlines as well. So it'll be like, Lagatha from Vikings was real. And then it's this whole, and then you're like, 
no you know like mm. <laughs> giving you ideas of you know we found a, a female skeleton therefore there must have been entire colonies of fighting women and stuff like this you know right days. exactly so it can get they can almost get too excited on the other side of it yeah so i like i really enjoy wading through all the different research and trying to come up with one what i think is correct but Sometimes being 100% correct with the models, like I said about the rule of core, yeah. isn't necessarily the best model. So it's got to also look like a really cool yeah, model. Yeah, there's a compromise there. Yeah, so there's there's all that. And there's sort of like, it's almost like they become symbols, I guess. So I've mm. had it with some characters where it would be like, say a woman from history, she never shot anyone, but maybe she had a gun or she, there was some reason she's linked to a particular item or whatever mm. that she might probably won't walk around with every day. <laughs> but if you put it mm. on there, right, it's yeah. like a really cool like, like a little nod to, to that sort of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So they're, they're the bits that I really like putting in. Obviously, like if it fits, you know, they're not like, I don't know armed with a gun and then they've got like a basket of puppies or oh no actually that's a bad example because i do that i totally do that how much do you <laughs> think that how much do you think that contributes to the commercial success like do you feel like you go above and beyond the call of duty or do you think that actually is a big part of why they sell yeah i obviously the cooler a figure is the more people are going to mm. want to buy it and when i started off i set the company up at quite a, a useful a lucky time if that makes mm. sense because people were starting to question that why there wasn't as much women's representation in wargaming right yeah. or the figures that were there were all very scantily clad so there wasn't yeah, much choice yeah exactly the kind um, of classic bikini armor fig- yeah figures, right it's so pretty when, much when we started off you see that, before that we had kind of had the luxury of people buying because of what they were so right. they're like it's a female model. It's got clothes on. We'll buy it. <laughs> but <laughs> you can't, like, when you're doing, when you're setting yeah. out to change the world, when you're doing that sort of thing, though, you yeah. can't have that forever because what you want is for no. there to be lots, you know, not just no. Bad Widow, obviously. You want that to be the norm. So then people, you can't have people buying your, your figures because it's a woman with clothes on yeah. because that's wild when you consider it the other way around. If people are like, oh, I'm going to buy off this company. They've got men with clothes on <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. so it's the point where it's like okay what's what's the angle here because there was a little you know maybe even just a few months into it i started thinking about that I'm like well i want people to buy the figures because they're really cool figures not because they're women with yeah, clothes on right like, that's obviously a bonus but i just wanted to go that's a cool figure and i just want that makes cool sense figure. So there's a funny way in which that is like an early stage advantage because you're doing something that's genuinely different. It's kind of amazingly amazing yeah. that it is genuinely different, but, yeah, but it's like <laughs> women with clothes on. What? what? <laughs> so you make those miniatures and initially, obviously that's just, that's enough. And it might be that they go well beyond what they need to in, in that sense already in yeah. terms of quality. But as you said, anyway, in the long term, to make this work, They've got to just be great miniatures in general yeah, because presumably it's improving as well. Other people are already doing this, surely. Yeah, yeah, and that's awesome because yeah, I get people like, hmm, such and such has done a woman with clothes on. I'm like, yes, this is good. So I'm not there going, mm. I must be the only company like that good kind yeah. of defeat. <laughs> what i'm doing imagine that um, you demand is... a monopoly on women with clothes on <laughs> feels like yeah, this this seems a little self-defeating but, um... Yeah. um no totally but yeah. it, it has got better partly just again it was the right time for me to start right. that because yeah. it has been becoming more of a discussion and lots more companies are doing it and i know that i have directly influenced some companies as well probably indirectly influence them i'm not claiming that there are more models of women with clothes on 
Oh no, I am claiming that. I'm claiming that there are more out there because it sounds like you are. But that, yeah, that you've had you that, you've exerted that pressure to some extent yeah. by just by showing people what's possible. Yeah, I'm not responsible for every <laughs> every woman of clothes on mini, but yeah, you know what? I have contributed quite a bit yeah. to that. But yeah, it's a mixture of I think the Annie effects and and also yeah, more people just be having the same thought going, hang on, what? You know, when we're doing a a woman barbarian or whatever. Why yeah. is yeah? So just yeah, people have been more conscious about it, and then it is a sort of ripple effect. So the more companies that do it, there was a fear when I started. A lot of people were like, "Don't do it. You won't sell them." And I've heard that so much from people going, "Well, people make sexy female figures because no one would buy them otherwise," and that became a sort of like gospel. Yeah, and it, it kind of angered me that people wouldn't even try. They'd just say, "Well, you know." They're not going to sell. So, so then I thought, well, okay, I'm out of nowhere. I'm going to like pour yeah. everything I've got into this. And at the start, it was, well, I didn't have much at all. I was quite happy to tell people that I started Bad Squidow when I was in debt. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was at the very last sort of bit of hope because I'd uh, previously I'd been running a dice bag business where I was, right. I was doing that for years, but I managed to bust up both my wrists with repetitive strain from, from doing that. Oh, from actually um, making them? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. um, so that wasn't long-term sustainable, but I did build a pretty damn good empire, so I was pleased with that. Right. But yeah, I'd, I'd been out of work for a bit because of obviously my hands weren't working. Yeah, yeah. And it was that last point of like, I need to change this up. I need to do something else. Yeah, starting in the back, which is something I would never suggest to anyone. Just hey. <laughs> you go people like, hey, Annie, you set up a business when you're in debt. So it can be done. Like, it can be done. I would not recommend it at all. Are you in debt? Do um, you have repetitive strain injury? <laughs> this is exactly the right plan up. now is to start a new business. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That, that but makes, yeah, so I yeah. thought, I, I did go into it with that sort of, self-defeat from the start just this like well if nobody buys them i've made some miniatures that i will like because mm. the first figures that we made were female shield maidens so, so what yeah, are shield dark maidens? age the dark age warriors that right. are women because there weren't any and that's what had been enraging me mm. <laughs> when i started playing because this the issue did seem to be largely in the historicals where obviously you've got all the you know the fantasy tropes but mm. with historical figures there were and there still are, to be fair, barely any female representation. And right. there are women in military history. Right, of course. So it was that sort of like adding into that. And I, so I'd started playing uh, Dark Age Wargaming and just went, okay, I'll get some some ladies in there, go onto Google. And yeah, they just, they weren't there. And I was like, but what? How? What? There should be, there should be <laughs> some, like, right? That's and and I found some and then they'd just, they'd be the fantasy version. So it's like, you know, your right, traditional yeah, Dark yeah. Age warriors always got like a tunic, some trousers, maybe yeah. a bit of chain mail on top and a helmet. And that's, you know, that's your standard warrior. It's like, just yeah. want that, but a lady. But all you could get was these like metal bra things. <laughs> like, right, yeah. Like, which yeah, is that's just a like, fantasy figure. That's like, fine. No, but this, it's not a historical figure. Not, no, no one goes to war like that. That's yeah. just not a thing. <laughs> which is really interesting. So actually, that's really interesting. Your point about the, the historical shield maidens. So who were they historically? What was their role? In and what kind of places particularly did they did they crop up? Funnily enough, this is the one that's very contested. Right, okay. Um, I can imagine so just the, the amount of historical record from those times in general is pretty limited, isn't it? Yeah, you're only like looking through archaeology with your own um, biases, which has been getting a bit better as people are more aware of it. Mm. But yeah, it was sort of like, the, you know, this skeleton's uh, buried with beads 
therefore it's a woman skeleton you know like all this one's buried with pots and you it can be very very quick to um make presumptions about a lot of stuff yeah because it's one of those where there's been a lot of men in that industry as well nobody's really questioned it obviously they have over time and Mm. a lot more lately so the there's still a huge debate over actually whether there were uh shield maidens or not the conclusion i came to (laughs) when i was going through it all because yeah it's reading it's like this emotional roller coaster where you'll read one bit and they're like yeah it was really common for women to fight like yes another one would go yeah they would never be fighting like no yeah. <laughs> i kind of it's yeah all that's just like you learn as much as you can look at as many different sources as you can uh but the conclusion i came to with them was that there there would have been it wouldn't have been normal there wouldn't have been tons and tons right of them, yeah makes sense but it it seems weirder for them not because you know you then look at different you know more documented periods of history yes. and there's so many cases of of women over like sneaking into the army and stuff like that oh, or just yeah. someone who might yeah. be exceptionally strong or something that you know even if there are rules in a particular side of like oh, women can't fight but there's a woman that is really strong then they might go yeah okay <laughs> we'll make an exception here i would also imagine in times of like incredible strife as well in more like oh, informal yeah. battles conflicts because so it's very easy if you're thinking back to like the middle ages the high middle ages where there's like a, a huge amount of 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 convention about how everything is is done yeah uh, then it's it's a bit different but as you said to me that seems to make sense to me what you're saying the the chance that at no point in a woman fight (laughs) in that context seems much less likely yeah seems like that would be very never happened yeah yeah, all the reasons you've said is that actually there would be they they might not be the typical case at all yeah you might not have a a, you know 20 of them running down the hill at you but yeah but did they Um, exist it's just come on at some point they must have done like i think that right that makes sense yeah i (laughs) can't see any other way to be honest that time is not linear so when you're looking through um looking through history depending on where you are in the world what the era is some you know some places will have loads of women and it's absolutely fine to be in combat others they won't and it's it's never something that will kind of like you know gets more progressive over time it sort of just jumps up and down depending on what what yeah, society that makes sense. Is, yeah which is really interesting and that's one of the reasons i ended up finding the world war ii uh, mm. women in world war ii really interesting as well and we don't just do combat at the start i was very much on this whole like mm. you know, badass sword wielding women and right. then i've just got yeah. even more into different representations so with the dark age i've got villagers that are defending with like pitchforks and things like that which absolutely definitely happened they can't argue yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah yeah and then once um like when we started the soviets they were all frontline well sort of frontline combats and then i got to britain world war ii britain and we didn't really have that we had like the odds you know sort of well, the odds we're quite a lot of you know spies and agents and things like that yeah but we didn't have you know rows of wi on the front line <laughs> like, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so but then it got me got me more interested in in different roles that aren't all the you know the glory of combat as well right, there's yeah. all sorts of different things that people do that that you know on the surface might not be as cool because you don't get a sword or something but are really important well so i've got i've, I've got from of... you uh, an anti-aircraft gun team yeah. from world war ii right <laughs> so isn't that an example of one because this is something that happened where women would operate those as part of the what's the what's the regiment called that they're part of that they operate those kind of guns oh the ats yes yeah yeah so with those that's a really interesting one because it's the bofors you'll you'll have yeah 
and that one so there's so much women's um ed fence so much so much more like in just in everything when i've been researching because mm. people are like don't try and shoehorn stuff and i kind of thought a little bit like i might be sort of wish list shoehorning and then once i started reading it's like i don't need to there are so many women yeah. Um, yeah. doing stuff you know yeah. even if they're not the front line they're there they're being active in the military so with the bofors so it's the anti-aircraft gun mm. uh, women were allowed to do everything apart from fire the gun oh interesting yeah so that was absolutely and it was a huge sort of debate throughout the war because uh, you know like they're doing it over in russia just let them shoot <laughs> yeah exactly um, they're doing everything fun, else like fun. but no you could load it you could do everything but you couldn't like pull the trigger basically so in that kit and i like that bit of detail so in that kit there's there's an option so you can get there's male gunners and female gunners uh, <laughs> so uh... like you know because you people right. play people yeah. play a lot of what if histories and things like that or like right. weird where, where you would have that yeah, or you could just think, are you doing a scenario where, yeah, there's no dudes about, so she's firing, okay? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I like that I've put in this, the, yeah, the historically correct man gunner, but also ladies as well. So you can, and I've made it so you can magnetize them too, so you can switch them out for what you're playing. That's, that's really cool. Is, is that, would you say, a kind of feature of the realistic war game world that actually people do really appreciate that kind of realism and, and reflecting? kind of how it would have been through that yeah yeah well i like i like making them accurate mm. and if they're more sort of pulpy genre stuff i'll put that as a separate thing but it it's again sense. it's also rule of cool so um right yeah yeah i like i like educating people and the whole like yeah the dudes dudes were the only ones that were allowed to fire but you're playing a game so yeah. sometimes you like people don't care they just go that looks cool that's going to be a cool version a way to make that model nice it, you know? you, yeah yeah exactly so it's not like everyone who's put the women on on the gunning position oh, that'd be a good poll actually to find out what the <laughs> what ratio oh, people that would have be used. interesting yeah. yeah to see what um, people have done i've not yeah, assembled not... mine so i can't <laughs> contribute yet but it's, yeah it's not like everyone who's put the woman on there is is not playing world war ii i'm sure like most of them probably are and um, they've just gone yeah it looks cool like yeah. they're not they're not real soldiers they're, they're three centimeters tall representation so you know <laughs> it depends how you're playing because <laughs> i think this is, this is partly it right that's like there's, the, a, there's a lot of what's yeah. i think what's been getting getting really good over the last maybe five ten years is historical wargaming getting more accessible because mm, um, before it was almost this sort of very guarded like traditionally like stereotypically old man type thing where you know you can't just pick it up you know you've got your masses and masses of napoleonics people shout at you if you paint the button wrong you know that sort of vision of what people see historical wargaming mm. as and i'm sure in some areas it was definitely like that but now there's more and more games and, and things coming out where it's just way more like the entry the bar to entry is mm. so much sort of smaller and there's also this sort of like more games where it doesn't have to be a hundred percent accurate because it's it's a game based in that era rather than being you're playing that era well that makes a lot of sense um, i mean I, to some extent all war games are yeah. alternate histories right in the sense that if you can change the outcome of the conflict yeah my favorite war game is is men 144 you never change the outcome of the war <laughs> but you do change the outcome of of an individual battle so uh, yeah. my dad, whenever he plays, he's always the Germans. So if I lose, I always like to remind him that he did lose the war in the end anyway, thankfully. <laughs> so your an individual battle can go a completely different way. Yeah. So there is that element, isn't it? By its nature, 
it's it's something which should be able to be adjusted around the edges yeah yeah exactly so there's there's a lot more of that now where it's just a bit more relaxed yeah what i just want in the hobby is just as much choice for people as possible so there's nothing wrong with Mm. any of it you know if someone Mm. wants to recreate a you know mass battle keep it as accurate as they can get it and they enjoy it then that's great and if someone wants to do vikings versus i don't know space marines or whatever like yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can do that like yeah so there's i think the hobby's now getting so diverse in those sort of sense anyway that there is something for everyone out there and i think that's really cool that that's really fantastic yeah and no, i completely agree i think that's i, I would say brought more just broadly in the world of board games and as well yeah that i would say seems to be very much the case which is great right this is a huge expansion of themes loads of different things happening I, I said we'd talk a bit like kind of what a, a day in your life looks like. I think it would be really cool to understand a little bit more about that, about like okay. how life works at Bad Squiddo. So w- what was a typical day? And can you walk me through just a kind of overview of that whole process of how a miniature goes from being an idea, because it's come out of a really cool run down a rabbit hole yeah. in Wikipedia, to <laughs> being something that's being sold in little blister packs, presumably? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so sort of standard office day. Mm. I watch loads of those motivational things on YouTube. I was about to start with that. I get up at this time, then I go to the gym. You get no. up at 4am and go to the gym. Then you meditate. Like that's what, that's what you've got to do at that point. And then you've got to eat, you've got to drink, I think something that's like a glass of water with lemon juice in it. Yes, yes. Normally. <laughs> For a long time, I was getting up at five o'clock. Oh, I've intense. moved it forward a bit. That's because I'm a morning person. So I do, right. I do like yeah. getting up early. And I feel like I fail from about four o'clock onwards. So if mm. I can use my my personal optimal time, then and yeah. So I get up, go to the office. <laughs> so I go over to the office and then just various sort of things that will happen throughout the day. So the first thing I'll tend to be checking orders, check the web orders, pack any of those that have sort of come through. Depending on the day, so if it's a Monday, it's usually quite a bigger task, you know, sort of midweek, maybe not so much. So it'll be sorting, yeah, sorting through the orders, any emails, any queries, if there's been any issues, can do all that. I'm supposed to not be on social media too much. I keep meaning to, to do the schedule where you schedule loads and loads of stuff and then right yeah yeah yeah, so that i'm not then going right now i need to update the social media so because Mm. i failed with that at the moment that's the thing i'll do (laughs) so like right but also check all of those because there'll be messages through there as well and then then i just sit around till about five and go no (laughs) i bet there's very little sitting around doing nothing that's pretty much been this week to be fair um (laughs) there's uh so it's a mix i like when i'm doing a mix of sort of computery bits and moving about bits because i tend to just my like will to live saps the longer i'm sort of sat at computer but Mm. there is a lot of that sort of stuff then yeah depending on what's happening it could be working on some graphic design for some new packaging because we have painted pictures of our miniatures on everything so ah right as soon as the the paint is finished then you know the mini might arrive so i'll take a photo of the mini whack it into photoshop cut it out put it onto the put it onto the packaging must be a real delight having uh, as part of the process people painting them for this and then you get to keep a collection of painted miniatures that must be pretty cool right Uh, yeah i bet bet that do you have those on display in the workshop no and i should i still don't have any space for them to be fair but i I know that like i've got all these really well lovely painted models and they just live in um foam cases most of the time yeah Um, but i occasionally get them out for photo shoots and things like that as well makes sense so like get put some nice terrain oh i've just got some new terrain coming so that was part of last week i was trying to find some uh like 
pre-made terrains ended up being on on etsy looking for some nice backdrop sort of terrain that was already you know like scratch made sort of stuff i can really easily like get off on a, a tangent on because it's because i'm doing so much i've got to be careful to then not get too into one particular thing so yeah they're on etsy going oh let's look at the next page look at the next page and like annie mm. <laughs> this was supposed to be a quick like mm. So yeah, it'll be things like doing doing the graphic work there. Got any sort of accounting things to do? Then do that and that sort of boring boring paperwork. There's a lot of boring paperwork, but again, people don't because so, the visual of what you see is just Annie yeah. on on video or whatever going. Hey, we've got more show made. <laughs> yeah, well, that's ev- like, every company has that, doesn't it? There's always yeah. the busy work that people forget about yeah, when they're running a like, business. Like it's just me with my figures going now fight, which I do do quite a bit to be fair. <laughs> they do oh, have... if that were the most of the job, wow! Oh, I have to do the best. I always do have little conversations with each other and stuff, yeah, but yeah. you know, that's that's normal probably. So yeah, other other things that may occur during the day I could get interviewed about something. I don't have to write. Maybe if I've got a new miniature coming out, I have to write the you know the info for it for the website as well as so yeah like take the photo then make the the thumbnail images maybe i've got a newsletter so i've got to do all the newsletter aspects the, there really is that whole wearing many many hats mm-hmm. again trying to sort of automate as much as i can now or outsource to sort of get rid of some of that busy work that yeah it's like is this the best use of my time sort of mm-hmm. thing makes sense um, so i like getting more systems in place we've got live stock which is just beautiful so <laughs> livestock on the website so if it's on the website we have it oh fantastic which, yeah we've, we've had that for years so now, is that a particular it? fulfillment company or something you work for them to do that no no nope, nope, just just being cool with the website right and, and just and, keeping and do you do you oh you have the miniatures you dispatch them and do that side of it yourself as well oh yeah yeah, yeah. so we yeah we do all the shipping right okay um so i mean like uh I don't have to do, I, I spent way too much of my life stock counting <laughs> right, through yeah. all the racks and counting things. So that's all auto now. So when we get them in from the casters, we just add those totals to it. And it's beautiful. And it gives me little alerts when things are low on stock. Oh. But those sense. sort of things, that would have been quite a bit of time beforehand. So, you know, in my yeah. previous days, I'd then maybe spend an hour stock checking this bit, doing this mm. bit. Um, whereas it's really quick and easy to do an order now because I just print off the spreadsheet yeah. well print it off I, like, I do like printing things off and having it in front of me rather than on the screen be able to sort of go through that and think right we need some of those so we'll be restocking the miniatures which happens quite a lot it's on this like endless catch-up because there's so the range is big we're still relatively small so don't have like tons of you know budget lying around especially as this whole like starting from debt it's been a real grind Can imagine <laughs> yeah and I'm really pleased with how it's got, how that's gone because I, I think that was a real battle against the odds. I'm very proud of that. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense to carry loads and loads of things in stock. So it's finding that balance where you've got a nice chunk. And it's better for the casters, you know, that you don't go, can you cast me five models? You know, they've got to cast a chunk off at once, but that can very quickly add up, you know, so what, what you've got or- sat around. Your stock is all kept in your your sort of workshop and office, yeah. right? So I can imagine that's a terrible trouble. Like even with very small miniatures, being able to just manage all of that stock yeah. of like a huge range that you've talked yeah, about. It's, so it's, it's quite a challenging. Lot. Also, a lot of people sort of keep them in drawers and package them up when they need it. But I just like getting them packed as, as soon as they're here. Well, not immediately, but <laughs> I've, one of my rules I try to have is to not have bags of metal around. <laughs> They've got to go into the blister packs. 
and that helps me keep um like keep an eye on how many of those I've got as well so I won't have a show coming up suddenly go oh, I've got blister pack loads of things ah now I've run out of these blister packs and so you so have some would you have some time for design in one of these days just to do yes. a little bit I like to do more of that from home because that's ah, where I've got all my books and I can really like spread the books out all over the floor and <laughs> just become one with it and then so when and I'm then... doing that and then you create a brief from that design process. Yeah, so like to that. make the miniature, that yeah, that starts. I do, um, I just make a million notes. Um, my main sculptor, Alan, he's done, uh, he's done all of our World War II. With him, I've got a Facebook group set up with just me and him. And we find that really useful just for managing everything. So you're not losing, you know, when you go back for emails and you're like, when did I say that? Where was that bit? So we'll have subtopics in there. So we just use that. And um, so, you know, it'd be like, one particular figure will have our own thread and mm. then there'll be like sub threads on that so it'd be like i don't know uh the clothes here's the clothes and then we can just post and i've got separate oh, galleries as well so like these are the specifics but this is the album to sort of be aware of sort of thing oh, so we put we put all that together uh sometimes i do a, one of my bad sketches it depends what the figure is um when it's things like say the world war ii i tend not to because we've got all the things together. So I just need to go and in that pose. It's almost like I've got assembling all of the pieces together. Mm. So it's not a from scratch sort of design. So we go for all that. So sometimes I'll do a, one of my awful sketches, they, which they're, they're very good at. And they do the job, basically. It's one, mm. of, one of my sore points when people go, can I see your concept art? I'm like, no. Ah, interesting. Like, but it doesn't need to be. So a lot of what people show as concept art isn't concept art, it's refined mm. art, because the more you draw it, then if you need to make a change, that's a whole other you know, thing to change it up. Whereas the point of it is just to show what goes where. Yeah. You know, There's no need to spend time shading the face in or whatever. Like, makes, I just need to makes show total the sense. expression. Yeah, and like, can the gun go over this part here? Um, and then you can think, no, then you can just easily rub it out, draw it, you know. And the gun, yeah, might just be a, a tube with a <laughs> just a yeah. very basic because that's all that's showing and then i'll have if it's say if it's world war ii onwards or something i'll then have attached to that a photo of the gun because there's no point to me drawing that gun yeah of course it just, just needs to show roughly show where it's gonna thing. be yeah, yeah. Makes sense. um and yeah if it's sort of older things it might be some artifacts or then a mm. mixture of that with somebody's sort of painting of one restored or you know things like that so there's a lot of sort of collage-ness in there. So send that, have a chat with the sculptor, again, depending on who it is. So main, main dude knows me so well that we can almost mind read each other now. Anyway. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'll be like, yep, I know exactly what's going on here. Cool. Uh, sometimes I'll phone them up as well, which I like doing too. <laughs> um, so it's not just all that sort of emailing back and forth. Uh, they get that. They do the sculpts. They'll sometimes send me a work in progress, but most of the time it'll just be finished unless it's something that's oh, interesting. been a bit vague. So yeah, they, they send me the photo through, say, is there anything that needs changing? Most of the time there isn't because they're ace. <laughs> I love that. I love that they arrive and they're just like, that's yeah, fantastic. this is perfect. Awesome. Or like, yeah, oh, that's could you really just fantastic. do that really small thing? Um, because yeah, that, and having that confidence now, like the, the people that I work with, I, I love that I just know that they'll they'll do it ace. That seems and incredibly valuable because yeah. the, my experience on that side of things has been, there, there are some people where I'm working with them on that basis, but there's, it's, it's often been a bit tougher than that, getting yeah. a lot of art produced. It's been so it's, it's been a ride to get to this point. 
So I'm like right. 100% happy now with the casters. And it's that like the trio, the casters, the painters, and the sculptors, because they make the, the figure. <laughs> this is the benefit of, it, of finding a working relationship like that, yes, I guess. Yeah, and having it's about doing that, really, how valuable that is. Really solid there. Because I've, yeah, I've gone through various different of all of those three, sort of in that, especially in that sort of shaky start mm. period where you're trying to find your feet and stuff like that. I'd had a whole bunch of bad experiences as well. And now like being at that stage where I'm just so happy with the people I work with and also really like them as well. I don't know it's not always necessary, but yeah. it's just like when you get on with people, in, even in that, you know, professional sort of capacity, it just makes everything easier. And yeah, I just, yeah. I, I just think the people that, that work with us are ace. And I'm just so happy. Like, cause like, it's fantastic. they're the ones that make the figure. So yeah, it's, it's important. They're important, which is another thing when I was thinking about, you know, mistakes people make as well, where they go, well, that sculpts that much. I can get a sculpt for cheaper. Like again, yeah, it is a sculpt. <laughs> it's definitely a sculpt, but is it a good sculpt? Because the sliding yeah. scale cost for sculpts is all over the place, as you can imagine. It's I art. Can imagine. So yeah. it's like anything. Yeah, it you can, can be get anything. them for a fiver or a million pounds. It's kind of yeah that varies. But I'm so happy with that team I've got now that just like the combo just makes everything. It's really satisfying. That's so great. If you've if you've That's got fantastic. that idea, which I guess from what you've just said there, you've done with Magnate, where mm. you've got this idea in your head. And then someone just does, isn't getting it, or they do something yeah, like, different, or because you didn't leave out specific detail, or you didn't, you know, there's something that you didn't clarify on. They've gone off a totally wrong way, but you didn't mention it. So then you're like, is that my fault there? You know, right, and it's just yeah. disheartening. And um, yeah, the casting bit as well. Like, I've I've had boxes not from my cast, <laughs> but mm. I've had boxes of casts arrived and cried at really oh, wow. like points where it's been you know just before a massive show like salute. Yeah, or yeah, and it's not and it's trying, not, like it's not to scratch. Yeah, like that's not a stress you need on top of that. Oh, so the chill of knowing that the figures are going to be perfect. It's like I just feel like again without flexing, everything's going to be perfect, and if it isn't perfect they'll fix it and it will be fine. Yeah. Like there won't be a, an issue, you know, they won't go, well, that's what it's like. You know, the very Completely. rare time I might've had like something that we've missed on a figure, like maybe like, I think there's one where a finger had got lost in the mold or something. I know that once, if there's something like that does happen, that it's going to be fixed so quickly. And, you know, I don't need to worry about it. It's not going to be like, well, you, you don't really need that finger, do you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, which is, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've had that. Like, oh, such uh, it, a perfectionist. It, it, like, no, it, I just like them to have all of the fingers. That's... No. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes huge amount of sense. I mean, this is something exactly I've felt with the kind of final production of, of Magnate has been, is just like, well, this, this is like my baby. I want it mm. to be really right. It's got to be right. And when something's not quite there, you're like, no, we do this. It's got to be, yeah, you know, as close to perfect as, as is humanly possible, really. It's it's hard. And it was for me at the start because mm. I, I kind of have no business background. <laughs> I have learned mm. it all as I go along, which again, when I'm like giving myself a pat on the back, I'm like, you've learned business along the way whilst yeah. in debt and learning all of these different things. But it's at the start, it's just things like people management. I've done a bit of it, but mm. yeah, having to tell someone to change a piece of art and stuff. Oh, like, that's a big thing. And yeah, you just like, 
part of you is just like, yeah, it's fine. And there's been bits where I'd, you know, in the early days gone, yeah, that's fine. And then it's bothered me forever. I'm like, why didn't I just tell them to do the thing? You know, like when I thought that bit could do with just that little change. But I go, no, it's fine. It's very good. Like, never upset artists. But it takes a long time for me to get to that point of, being able to sort of yeah go nope that's incorrect that but again luckily i don't even need to do that anymore it's (laughs) it's interesting you say that i mean that sounds like a wonderful place to be in because then in my experience is that there's there's a lot of skill in briefing anything to any kind of artist so that makes a lot of sense well i think we're kind of running out of time a bit now so unfortunately because i think we could to be honest (laughs) we could just keep going for ages there's so many more (laughs) things that i would love to ask you and love to talk about about this um but but before we before you go uh, I really wanted to know what your top advice would be for people that want to run a miniatures company. Maybe they've heard what you've said. Sounds like, oh my God, that sounds actually really cool. Like, <laughs> and there's and there's, a, there's a huge wide open field of different things you can make, right? Because you can make a miniature of pretty much anything. Yep. So uh, what would your kind of top advice be? Let's say top three pieces of advice. Okay. Someone who wants to run a miniatures company like yourself. Okay. Make something you're interested in and that you have a passion for Mm. don't go okay this particular type of figure is selling a lot now so that's what i'm going to start with right yeah you know if you happen to like it that's fine and it like i said before it makes sense to to do something that is financially viable but it's very hard to make money i feel like in my little you know, my size company mm. and that sort of around that. I do feel like I am doing very well, mm. but I'm still not, you know, in my Lambo or anything. <laughs> I'm still, I'm yeah. still working yeah. really, really hard and having beans on toast, you know, because um, it's just this constant reinvestment. So even when stuff's going really well, it's why people are like, but how come you're always skin? Like, because it's just going back in all the time. And it's yeah, that growth course. bit. And that's with me being successful. There's so many companies that start up and they don't, really get anywhere because it all you know goes wrong but if you're doing something that you're passionate about it makes it so much better because this is not the business i'd to get miniature manufacturing it isn't the business i'd get into if it was just to make money yeah of course because there's a lot easier ways to do it yeah and and it's like doing this you know work yourself to the ground having to put things out there you know putting your baby out onto social media yeah some guy just there trashing it immediately things like that like there'll be days when i just go why am i doing this you know like this is awful and then someone will message me like a picture of their door with the first shield made and it's like the first model they've ever painted or something i'm like that is why that is why i do it yes so for me it's not just about the minis it's about this like I just, it sounds cheesy. I just want to make people's lives better. And, oh, of course. And yeah, yeah. And if I feel like I'm having that positive impact and I feel like what, what I do with Bad Squiddo is, then that's me winning. So that's the, that's that goal. But if it was just for the money, yeah, I just by now I think I'd have just quit. <laughs> well, because it would be, it would be, it would be so punishing, wouldn't it? And it, it's, it's just, people keep saying this to me. It is that love of it that gets you through the tough times. Yeah. Yeah. And if so you don't if you, have yeah. that, you're not going to be as motivated as well. Yeah. Right? So it's because... as minis that you've got your heart into and that's your particular thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just going to be rather than just these being these like little, mm. little figures that you resent forever because you used your mortgage money <laughs> oh, on them. God. Whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like when I started with the shield maidens, yeah. was, well, if no one buys them, I've got some cool things that I've made for myself that I would like. You right. Know? Makes sense. Yeah. And also like, there it is, it is doable as a business. So even though I've just said all of that, yeah. 
there's too many people that go well you know well, there's some phrase that goes around and it's like if you want to make a million pounds in this industry oh, start no, with two million pounds and like <laughs> i absolutely i hate that i'm gonna say for the record now i loathe it i loathe that well for every because for every time you can say that i can say all right i look at something like stonemeyer like yeah. as we were talking about earlier 18 million dollars of annual revenue yeah and i'm just like one person making board games because he wanted to make board games that he really enjoyed making right yeah. like that that is like no completely like yeah that is just do you not think that the degree of that is a kind of form of self protection right because it means yeah. that if you if you fail at it you can say oh well it's impossible to make money yeah, anyway yeah. right yeah so it is it is very hard a lot fail but it's not impossible um, yeah. which is important and if yeah if you've got the the drive i know it's it's always like you know it's easy to say if you've got the dream you can mm -hmm. dream it you can do it like no you have to you know work your ass off but yeah if, it's going to be tough that's, right yeah, that, that's the important doable. thing to take away but but yeah. achievable achievable it, critically yeah, it is achievable other bits to avoid i would say not pricing high enough because people get like, ah, you're nervous yeah. you're new and you're like oh I would, and then you kind of look about and there's some companies that sell them so cheap um, right, and yeah. it's because they they don't need the money you know it's the same for any business where people are doing some are doing it for a hobby some are doing mm. business and you'll think oh but they're selling it that cheap so i'm gonna have to sell it that cheap and you don't <laughs> but it's right, really yeah, hard yeah. in those early days because you, you already like got the whole doubt of no one's gonna buy my miniatures so you know mm. if i do them cheap or if i do like endless deals and make them really cheap or if you're a retailer and you go oh i must discount things but you don't you don't have to do it um, yeah, I see too many people just sort of screw themselves up from the start because they don't price them high enough. Mm. So they're never going to get the money back or the time that it takes to get the money back is too long. Yeah. You know? And that they can't sustain until that point. Makes sense. Um, yeah. So make a good product and then price it for what it's worth. If it's good, people are going to want it. You want them to have it. You want them to want it because it's good and it's something they want. They want yeah. in their lives. Totally. Not because it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> they go oh no it's a bit crap but it is cheap like, no you want you want them to want it so don't be afraid to price it at the level that you need to or that you you know obviously mm. you do all your workings out to what it should be but yeah don't don't be too worried about seeing other stuff cheaper i think that's that's definitely important mm. and another thing uh, i think what i mentioned before i guess is don't <laughs> don't go cheap on your manufacturer Right. So yeah. You yeah. call, you know, you're not going to have much of a budget at the start unless you're one of those lucky people. Oh, I'd love to have had money to set up a company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like there's going to be areas, like I said, there's areas where it's easy to cheap out and, and you can get away with it. Like, again, like my office should be way bigger. Right. <laughs> but yeah, for yeah. now, that's, that's a smaller monthly cost that makes a big difference at this point. So there are bits where you can cheap out like that, but you can't on your, your sculptors and your, your sculptors and particularly you've got to make good models and don't again don't get lured to like oh, but mm. this guy will do it for this price I'm like, nope yeah <laughs> but that is your product so you want your product to be good so don't yeah don't be lured by that potential extra profit because you're not going to sell as many if they're crap so that yeah product uh, extra profit's not there amen to that that seems like a really <laughs> really good advice that people seem to get wrong all the time when it comes to making products which is thinking well look 
wherever the cheapest option is is the one yeah. you should go with. And generally, whenever you do the cheapest way of doing it, there's nearly always some other pain involved in the process. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> that counterbalances if you just paid more money for it. It's something I think everyone has experienced. Yeah. And it is, it is wise to keep in mind that you've got to assess your options carefully. Yeah, when I when I do my autobiography, I'll put all of my horrors in there. <laughs> yeah, you've got to do that. You've got to do that. This was absolutely fantastic. It's been so great. That's really great advice. I think anyone who wants to do this would be interested. And I think all three of your tips there, I actually think are highly applicable to lots of different businesses, mm-hmm. actually, about quality suppliers, about sensible pricing and doing it, you know, because you love it. It seems yeah. like it's really crucial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good and all those around. are like specific versions of it. I would play to other board game businesses as well. I think yeah. would probably apply. So just before you go then, so what are you coming out with soon that we should be on the lookout for? You, we're into the Soviet Union, we're getting more of them? Yes. Yeah, so we've just finished a Kickstarter. It was only a week. I, I very much like short oh, wow. Kickstarters. Yeah, it was, it was a week. That went wild. So we're currently working on getting the stretch goals sculpted for that. But that pledge manager will be open probably a few weeks. But it means that even if you've missed it and you're thinking, oh, these sound interesting, you'll be able to join as a late backer for that. So keep an eye out for loads more World War II ladies. After that, we're actually doing a short fantasy Kickstarter. Because again, this was an exact example of the sculptor just kind of making one fantasy mini and then we're going, okay, maybe a couple yeah, more. Yeah, okay. these are really good. Uh, Let's do this. Now we've got a really nice little set. So I'd like I'd like to put them as a small Kickstarter. It'd be nice after you know doing the huge one like the, the World War II. It'd be a little little one like that. We do a mixture of Kickstarters and normal releases though, so there's always something coming out. The Scenix range is just going wild. The things getting molded at the moment are they're just immense. Um, yeah. So there's just everything. There's mm-hmm. always something happening around Bad Squiddo. Do you check out any of the links that I assume you'll put somewhere? Oh, absolutely. Um, links yeah, in, the, in the episode the... description, as always, yeah. to, links to get to, to buy those lovely miniatures. I mean, yes. like I said, having owning that Bowforce gun set, I was just, it was so cool. Like, it was, it was mm. a pity I've not a chance to put it together yet. Like, I don't know when I'm going to get around to that because I'm not really <laughs> much, I'm not much of a modeler. Yeah. Like, I don't really yeah. make models mostly. So I, um, I love finished miniatures. But I don't love the process of getting to finish Aww. miniatures. So unfortunately, is a hobby in itself. But. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the same because I really want them to see the live day, to be honest. I think maybe, maybe I'll get someone else to um, assemble and paint them. Maybe that will be what I should do. But yeah, but that's really cool. Well, thank you so much again. Um, there's so much to, to learn from there. And I think it's so cool to hear about your your business and how the whole thing works and then and how all the different things you do every day. And let's hope that maybe... Uh, it won't be beans on toast forever. And that at yes, some point soon, <laughs> some people can take some stuff off your plate. Yay. Thank you very much. I've had lots of fun. It's been really good chatting about different things as well. So this, this I felt was very interesting. Producing Fun is produced by Naylor Games. If you enjoyed the show, follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, or other major podcasting platforms. Remember, producing fun is also a product and it thrives on feedback. So please leave a review wherever possible or simply send me your feedback directly. You can message me on Twitter at NaylorJames or write me an email, james at naylorgames.com. Until next time.